guys. Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. Screaming at God's praise right now. This is just a... Awesome, man. Man, it was, uh, it's so good to be back with you guys. I missed you guys last week. Um, I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to be continuing on in our gospel series that we've been in for the past few weeks. So we hit, last couple, or two weeks ago, rather, we ended with the life of Abraham. Okay, we, we hit in the life of Abraham for a couple of weeks there to see how God's promise and his provision continued throughout his life, including that promise of an offspring that would one day come, defeat Satan, and overcome sin altogether. So this week, we're going to pick up several hundred years later with Abraham's descendants to see how that promise and that provision continues through their lives as well. We're also going to see how God bridged that gap, that gap that sin created between us and him. But in order to do that, we have to dive into the Old Testament to see the law and the sacrificial system. And we're going to see how the law and the sacrificial system actually points to the gospel and is actually... Without the wall and the sacrificial system, there would be no gospel message. The big idea today is the gospel is about sacrifice. The gospel is about sacrifice because, again, without the law, without the sacrificial system, there would be no gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time that we have together. Thank you again for this gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the fact that you never give up on us. You love us so much. Thank you for this body of believers that you've, you've given us, that we're able to gather together, that we're able to worship your name, that we're able to encourage each other and lift us each other up towards you, God. And God, I pray that if there's anybody here that does not know you, that has not been impacted, their eyes have not been opened by your gospel message, I pray that you convict today, that you open eyes, transform lives. I pray for us as Christians that we are also impacted and transformed. I pray that everybody here today, including myself, is impacted and transformed in some way, shape, or form. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take over. God, this is all about you. This is all about you. Holy Spirit, take over. Help us to feel you tangibly in this moment. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, we're going to be kind of skipping around a little bit. we got a good bit of ground to cover. We're going to be covering several things in what's known as the Mosaic Covenant. So that consists of the law, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system. So when I say we have a good bit of ground to cover... We have a good bit of ground to cover, and we're going to do this in one sermon. The way that we're going to do that is we're just going to kind of be hitting on some of the highlights, okay? We're going to be hitting on some of the highlights to show how not only do these things point to the gospel, but without these things, there would be no gospel message. But before we dive into this, before we dive into scripture, I want to give us a kind of a little bit of backstory, okay? Because where we're going to be starting at with a scripture today, this is several hundred years after the life of Abraham. So I want us to kind of step back into time for a moment to catch us up, to see what's going on, what's happened up to this point. So Abraham, um, after Abraham, that that offspring continued through him to that offspring that would one day come, defeat Satan, overcome sin altogether, to his son Isaac. And from Isaac, it's passed down to his son Jacob, Isaac's son Jacob. And then God himself renames Jacob Israel. Okay, that's where we get the nation of Israel from. That name Israel came from God. He renamed Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And, And so when we read about, when we hear about the 12 tribes of Israel, that's literally 12 guys. They were 12 sons of Israel, and they later became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, one of those sons is named Joseph, okay? And Joseph, an incredible story. If you haven't read it, please 
Go and read it. Incredible story of God's provision. If you've already read it, read it again. It's awesome. It's an incredible story. Um, and so Joseph is actually sold into slavery by his brothers. I mean, it's just this horrible story. Imagine being sold into slavery by your brothers, right? And so he gets sold into slavery, and he actually uh, goes off to Egypt. He's taken to Egypt, and there um, he goes through so many hardships, through years of hardship. He's actually imprisoned for several years, but then he actually ends up rising up in power. Pharaoh himself makes him second in command of all of Egypt. Second in command. Because what happened was Joseph didn't realize it and his brothers didn't realize it at the time either. But God was using this. Was, this was all a part of God's provision. All a part of God's plan. They didn't know it at the time, but they were about to see it here in a moment. See, what happens is Joseph rises to second power in all of Egypt. And shortly after this, this horrible famine sweeps through the land. And when I say this is a bad famine, man, this is a horrible famine. The kind of famine that honestly... Israel and, and all of his, his relatives, all of Abraham's descendants, probably would have not made it through this famine. It went on for years. So it was horrible. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. One of Israel's sons is now second in command of all of Egypt. Just speaks to God's incredible provision through this. So in this situation, guess who automatically gets like this spot of land in Egypt? Guess who gets provided for and gets to live it up, live the life essentially in Egypt during this horrible famine that they otherwise probably would have not made it through? You guessed it, Israel and all of their relatives, all of Abraham's descendants because of God's provision. This speaks to the fact that when we see chaos, God sees options. He sees opportunities. When we see destruction, God sees something that's ready to be mended, something that's ready to be redeemed. When we think that there's no hope in a situation, there's no hope in a certain person's life, that's when God sees breakthrough. Absolutely nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. And nothing will stop him from providing for the children that he loves. Nothing will. So we, we, we see this, Joseph and all these Israelites that are provided for, they're cared for, all because of God. And God's sovereignty he provides for them Fast forward a few hundred years later. And what's happened at this point is the Israelites, they've multiplied. I mean, these guys have spread like wildfire. They have multiplied, have babies like crazy. There's a ton of them at this point. But what's happened is after the life of Joseph, they actually end up becoming pretty much enslaved there in Egypt. They're held against their will. They, they cannot leave. They're not allowed to leave by Pharaoh. And they are forced to work. They are forced to do hard labor. Them and all of their families, their, their kids held and captive, and they're crying out to God. It's this horrible situation. They've been, they're being treated horribly. And so what does God do? God raises up this man named Moses, and he calls out to Moses through a burning bush. Why a burning bush? Because God is awesome like that. He calls out to Moses through a burning bush, and he says, go and tell Pharaoh. Don't ask him. Tell him to let my children go. Let my people go. And so Moses listens. He goes off, and we know that account. He goes back and forth with his, with his Pharaoh, and he says, hey, look, God says to let my people go. And Pharaoh says no. And he goes back and forth, back and forth. God sends all these supernatural, logic-defying plagues, one after another after another, all of these plagues. Pharaoh continues to say, no, I'm not going to let him go. And finally, with the last plague, with the last plague, God essentially just forces Pharaoh's hand. This plague is so bad that Pharaoh not only says, okay, you can go, he says, essentially, get out. Get out of here. So God supernaturally, through his providence, through his provision, he delivered them. He rescued them. And that, um, that exodus actually points to the greater exodus that we see in Jesus Christ on the cross. God, in his grace, in his love, in his sovereignty, made a way for them to 
be freed from Egypt. And so that's what we're going to pick up today. The, the Israelites are in the wilderness. They're traveling in the wilderness to this promised land, this land that God has promised them. But right now, where we're picking up, they're in the middle, middle of this wilderness. So let's check out what happens next in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. And the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai uh, came to the Sinai wilderness and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the people's. Although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. These are the words that you were to say to the Israelites. After Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. Then all the people responded together, we will do what the Lord has spoken. So Moses brought the people's words back to the Lord. So we see several things in this account. But one of the first things that we see right off the bat is the fact that these guys, they've been freed from Egypt. Right? They've been freed from Egypt. This hasn't been just like a day or two. Okay? They're kind of coming out of that honeymoon period where it's like, man, we're free. And they've been in this wilderness in the middle of nowhere with all of their families. This isn't just a bunch of adults. They've got their kids, their families. They're in the middle of this wilderness. And that's where God meets them. God meets them in the middle of this desolate desert. And how often is that true for us how often is it in the middle of those circumstances, those times, those deserts, those desolate circumstances, situation where we're like, God, where are you in this? I don't know what to do. I don't feel you in this. What am I supposed to do? It's in those times that God only meets us when we're crying out to him, but it's in those times that God impacts us in the most profound ways in our life, in those deserts, in those desolate times of life. And that's true here for the Israelites. And then next we see God reminding Moses and the Israelites what he's done for them at this point. He's reminding them that he has carried them out. And he's, and he's telling them, hey, look, remember, it wasn't anything that you did. I did this. I delivered you. I, through my grace, through my love, delivered you. I alone. It wasn't anything that Moses did. Moses just did what God told him to do. God was the, the one who sent all the plagues. It was God's plan from the get-go. And he's reminding them this. And we see this when, when this text speaks to the fact that God carried them on eagles' wings. When that text says God carried them on eagles' wings, this was by God's grace alone. God was the one who came up with the plan. God was the one who called Moses. God was the one who ushered in all of these plagues and essentially forced Pharaoh's hand. It was by God's grace alone, not anyone else. And guys, this speaks to the fact that God's grace comes first and then we obey simply in light of the grace, not for the grace. We obey in light of the grace, not for the grace. In other words, there's nothing that we could ever do to deserve God's grace, to earn God's grace. We obey in light of God's grace because of what he has done. It's the same for the Israelites here, but it's also true for us. We obey in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We could never deserve it. We could never deserve it. And the last thing I want to hit on in this text right here is this covenant that we see. There's this covenant that God is wanting to make 
with Moses and with the Israelites here. And this is a different covenant than we saw that we spoke about a few weeks ago. So the covenant that we spoke about a few weeks ago, that Abrahamic covenant, that was that, that blood covenant. And, and that covenant, that was an unconditional. There were no conditions with that. No matter what, God, God, God's promises, his blessings were going to become a reality. There's nothing that Abraham, there's nothing that any of his descendants could ever do to stop those promises from becoming a reality. And that also included that offspring that's going to be continued on down through the line through Abraham's descendants. Nobody could do anything to stop that from becoming a reality. But this covenant is called a conditional covenant. In other words, there's conditions with it. There's conditions with it. And we see that in this text when he says, if, and that's the big word right there, if you will listen to me and keep my covenant. If you will listen to me and keep my covenant. So there's two big things. First off, he's saying, listen to me. Listen to me. Trust me. Listen to me and then obey me. Do what I'm telling you to do. And if you do these things, if you listen to me, if you obey me, I'm going to take care of you. Look at everything that I've done for you. Just listen to me. I will take care of you. Move in my direction. Obey me. And then I'm going to pour out more blessings on you. And that's what essentially God is saying in this. But this is dependent upon the Israelites listening and obeying God. And the promises, the blessings that God has for them was that they would be his possession. In other words, they would be his treasure. It would be his treasure, and they would be a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nations. That's the blessings that God wants to pour out on him. But again, it's dependent on them listening to him and obeying him, trusting him. So after Moses, he goes down, tells the people what God has said. The people are like, yes, yes. You know what? God has done so much for you. Yes, we're going to listen. We're going to do this. They essentially give him the thumbs up. Moses goes back up, tells God. And what God tells Moses is, okay. I'm going to come down in three days, and I want everyone to see me. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to come down in a way that they can all kind of see me here in three days. And, and there's some things that Moses tells them that God tells Moses to tell them to do. We're not going to really get into that, but there's certain things that they had to do. But we're going to kind of fast forward. Three days later, we're going to see how God came down and what happened in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19. On the third day, when the morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke, because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. At the sound of the trumpet grew, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder. So God just came down for all of these Israelites to see. And he did it in a way so that they see his power. They see his greatness. They see his might, the fact that he is holy. They see his presence. And, and this speaks to the fact that, you know what? Nothing can stand in God's presence without being moved, without being impacted in some way. In some way, the very presence of God demands response. And they see that they are impacted by this. And then God tells, he calls Moses to go up to the top of the mountain, is what we see after this text. So Moses goes up to the top of the mountain. The only person that's allowed to go with Moses is Aaron. And this is when um, God delivers the Ten Commandment, Commandments to Moses. And we're going to get to that here in a moment. But first, I want to check out, I want us to check out together what the Israelites did, like what their response is to what happened and what God has just done because they have just been impacted by the presence 
of God. Let's check this out in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 24. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or, he will, or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Then the Lord told Moses, this is what you were to say to the Israelites. You have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make gods of silver to rival me. Do not make gods of gold for yourself. Make an earthen altar for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your flocks and herds. I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. So these guys are scared to death. They are literally, they are so scared, they are shaking. I mean, the text literally says they didn't even want to talk to God. They were like, Moses, go talk to God for us. We are scared to death. They thought that we were going to die. And then we see in this text something that's kind of crazy. We see Moses saying, hey, look, don't be afraid of God, but fear him. Like, don't be afraid of him, but fear him. And it's like, what is he talking about? Don't be afraid of him, but fear him. And what he's talking about in this moment is like, look, God is not coming down. He's not doing this to smite you right now, right? Like, he's not going to kill you. If God wanted you dead, you would already be dead. This is not what he's doing. This is not the point of this. God is doing this so that you will see his power. You will see his holiness. The fact that he is the one and only God of the universe and you will take him seriously so that it will encourage you to move in his direction and move away from sin. That's why God is doing this. This is reverential fear because he is holy. He is just. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be listened to. And it's encouragement to move in his direction and move away from sin. And that was the point of this. Something else that we see in this text is, man, God is jealous for us. God is jealous for you. Do you realize that? He loves you. He is jealous for you. He wants, he longs for a relationship with us, with his people. He loves us. And he wants us to know that there is no other God but him. He wants to be worshiped as the only God, and he wants to have a relationship with us where we know that he is the only God. He is jealous for us. He loves us. He loves us. And unlike so many other false gods and idols that don't even exist, you know, that are bound by like a certain place or certain places, God is not bound by a certain place. God is with his people wherever they go. And we see that in this text. That's true for them, but that's true for us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. No matter where we go as Christians, the presence of God is with us. No matter where we go. So at this point, the Israelites, they've been given, Moses gave them the, the Ten Commandments, given from God. And he also gives them something else called the Book of the Covenant. So the Ten Commandments, the Book of the Covenant, that's all these other laws that we see there. And so the point of all these other laws, in addition to the Ten Commandments, is they, they essentially helped these Israelites to be able to actually live out the Ten Commandments practically. Like it spelled it out for them. Like this is how you actually do this, practically speaking, in your everyday life. Like, he, God didn't just give the Ten Commandments and say, okay, hey, peace out, good luck with that, all right, cool. No, he gave these other laws to help them apply them and actually be able to live out the Ten Commandments, practically speaking. And the point of this was, the point of the Ten Commandments, the point of the law, is it acted essentially like a mirror. And it showed the people, you know, the holiness of God, the fact that he's holy, that he is worthy to be praised, that he is perfect, but then it also acted as this loving mirror. It's like God sets this loving mirror up and shows us, look what you have become. 
You were created for so much more than this. I created you for a perfect relationship without this sin, without all this chaos and brokenness in your life. But look what has happened. And he's essentially inviting them back into this relationship with him. And he's setting up these laws to help them have this relationship. It's bridging this gap that sin has created between us and him. And that is the point of this. There is love and there is grace in this. The law wasn't set up by God, by this over, he's not this overbearing dictator, this evil dictator that's trying to be overbearing with all these laws. That's not the point of this. He was giving us a doorway back to him, back to him, to our loving heavenly father. That's the point of the law. Let's keep on going. Exodus 23, verses 20 through 23. I'm going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Be attentive to him and listen to him. Do not defy him because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion for my name is in him. But you, if you will, be care, will carefully obey him and do everything that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and a foe to your foes. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the land of the Amorites, Hethites, Parasites, Canites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. God just continues. His promises, his blessings just continue here. Continues to promise all of these things. Like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you. But then he also, with that, he reminds them, look, but listen to me. Just trust me. I'm going to take care of you. And again, his grace comes first. It's not obedience, then grace. It's grace. And then we obey in light of his grace, in light of what he's done. And he's reminding them continually, guys, listen to me. Trust me, I'm gonna take care of you, but you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. And through this, through this, guys, God has set up all these laws, and he's even broken it down Barney style, right? With all these other laws, he's given the Ten Commandments, and he gives the book of the commandments, the, the book of the, of the covenant, to help them actually live out the Ten Commandments practically in their life. He's given them no excuse not to trust them, no excuse not to listen to them, no excuse not to be able to do this. And then he raises up priests to help them carry this out. And God does all of this in order to save them, in order to put them back in a right relationship with him. And then he blesses them. He continues blessing them in the process. And here's the thing. Here's the thing, and catch this. God does all of this for his people. But the only thing that God gets out of this, the only thing out of everything that God has done that he gets out of it, is his people. That's it. That is all that God gets out of this. He gets them a relationship, a love relationship. And he's not forcing this. He's giving them the option because he wants a love relationship with them. And here's the thing, guys. It's the same way for us. It's the same way for us. Everything that God has done for us, this whole gospel, the plan of redemption, Jesus Christ on the cross, dying in our place, all of that was done, and the only thing that God gets out of it is us. That is it. And he gives us the choice. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. That's the only reason. Let's go on to the last, last two texts right here. Exodus 25, we're going to go 1 through 2, and then we're going to go down, skip down to verses 8 through 9. So let's check this out in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to take an offering from me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. Let's skip on down to verse 8 through 9. 
They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all its furnishing. So first off in this text, we see God asking them to give a willing sacrifice. A willing sacrifice. So in other words, he's not forcing them. He's not saying, hey, you better give this to me, right? And, and you know, this isn't some kind of a tax law or anything like that. The other thing is, we have to understand this isn't the type of offering that we see in a sacrificial system, right? Where, you know, animals are offered sacrifice to God. This isn't that, right? This is a willing offering, and it's an offering of time, of talent, and mainly of possessions, right? Of wealth, of money. And that's what God is calling them to do in this moment, a willing offering. And this kind of speaks to two things. It speaks to two things. The first thing that this speaks to is the necessity of giving of time, talent, and even money, you know, a portion of that. And God blesses that in the process. He blesses us through that when we give to God. And again, it's not, it's not you know, uh, this kind of situation where we feel obligated, like I got to earn God's grace, right? I got to earn my way to God. It's not like that. This is a willingness. That's the second thing. It's a willing heart that God <laughs> longs for. There's a necessity with it, but then there's also that willing heart. That's what God calls us to have when we give, not out of obligation, not to earn God's grace, but in light of God's grace. And here's the thing, when we give to God our time, our talent, our money, here's the thing, when we're giving to God and we're giving to his kingdom, guess what as Christians, guess what kingdom you are a part of? You are a part of the kingdom of God. You are giving back to the very kingdom that you are a part of. God will bless us through this. And he's going to bless these Israelites. It's not always through wealth. It's not always through possessions. One of the biggest blessings that we get is the intimacy with God. Because what we're essentially saying in that moment is, Daddy, I love you. I love you. I don't want there to be anything between us. I know that you're going to take this little bit that I'm giving you, and you're going to do something incredible with it. And I know you're going to bless me. You're going to take care of me in the process. And that's what God calls us to do. That, that willingness, that humble heart, that faith, that trust and him. And what these people are giving to here is the tabernacle. They're giving for this tabernacle. And what the tabernacle essentially is, this is going to be a place where the very presence of God can dwell amongst them. They're building, they're giving towards a place, a tabernacle, where the very presence of God can dwell amongst them. Well, we're not going to get to this text today, but we see later on in this text, as you keep on diving down, that they had so much, these Israelites gave so much to this cause, that they literally had to tell them to stop giving. It's like, we've got more than enough. You no, know, I mean, don't give any more. We've got more than enough. And that's what actually ended up happening in this moment. And through this tabernacle, there's so much to this. There's a lot of depth to this. Um, and I just kind of want to hit on some basics. But again, the, the point of this was for the presence of God to dwell with them. And everything about this tabernacle and everything inside of the tabernacle meant something. It pointed to something. It symbolized something. And every time the Israelites saw it, they would see this and they would be reminded of these things. So I want to hit on just a few brief things just to kind of give you an idea here. So the Ark of the Covenant, these are the things inside of the tabernacle, just a few of them. The Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat both represented God's presence. The table of the bread represented his provision. The lampstand represented his guidance. The, the, one of the most significant things is the veil, and it separated um, the, the holy place from the most holy place, and that re represented that, that distance, the separation between us and God, sinful mankind, the, you know, the sinfulness that, that we have in the holiness of God and that separation 
that, that we have. And then the last thing I want to hit on here within the tabernacle is the single doorway. The single doorway. And this represented that the fact that there's only one way to God. There's only one way. And that was true for them. And we know now this is Jesus Christ. He's the only way to God. He's the only way to salvation. And again, all of these things were within the tabernacle. When these guys saw the tabernacle and it was with them, wherever they went, the tabernacle was there. They would see it and they would be reminded of these things continually. God was giving them this visual aid to remind them of these things. Why? Again, because he loves them. Because he loves them. And we're constantly reminded. The last thing I want to hit on today, just briefly, is the sacrificial system. And again, just like with everything we've been covering, there's, there's a lot of depth to these things, but we're just going to hit on one sacrifice. There were several sacrifices that were seen, but I want to hit on one briefly. It's called the burnt offering. And with this sacrifice, the burnt offering, this was specifically for individual sins. So in other words, when the Israelites would sin, if you were, you were an Israelite and you were to sin, you would bring this burnt offering, right? And, and what would happen is this burnt offering, it would essentially take on your sin and it would die in your place. It would die in their place. And so what they would do, they, they would take this perfect animal. The word tells us it had to be without blemish. It had to be perfect, without defect, without blemish. And this was a constant reminder to them. Because again, this was every time that they sinned and they knew that they sinned. So this was a constant reminder to them that there's a cost involved with this. Because this was part of their wealth. This was part, I mean, this was one of their animals, part of their wealth that they had to bring. It was a reminder of the cost to them, the cost to their family. And what they had to do is they had to take this, this animal to the high priest. The high priest um, would then take it. The animal would be killed, it would be slaughtered, and then it would be sacrificed in the tabernacle. It would be sacrificed. But here's the thing. What they had to do with this animal is they had to actually place their hands the Israelites, when they brought this sacrifice, they had to place their hands on top of the animal's head. Right? And what this symbolized was their sin being passed down to this animal. Their sin was being put into this animal, essentially. And this animal was taking their place and was dying for their sin in their place. And they had to do this every time that they made this sacrifice every single time see guys the penalty for sin for high treason against the god of the universe is death it's death and a lot of times people you know wonder well, well why why is there this penalty and why is the penalty so extreme why death if god is so loving and so merciful why is there such a high penalty like death what is up with this and what we have to understand is yes god is loving god is merciful god is gracious but here's the thing god is also holy he is also pure he is also perfect and he is also just he is just he can't just sweep wrongdoings and sin and evil under the rug as if nothing happened because if he did guess what he would not be he would not be perfect he would not be holy he would not be just anything that's not holy that's not perfect that's not just goes against him is in direct contradiction to him it's evil. It's sinful. It's sinful. What we have to understand is in God's incredible love and grace, 
what he did, he ushered in a plan to save us. Because what we have to understand is God could not wipe out evil. He could not wipe out evil. He could not wipe out sin. He could not make everything right again without killing us, without ridding the world of us. Why is that? Because we're the ones who invited evil and sin into the world. We're the ones who invited into our lives, into our relationships, into the world around us. So the God of the universe could not rid the world of evil, could not rid the world of sin, and set everything right again without getting rid of us. But in God's incredible love and his incredible grace, he ushered in a plan that would not only set things right again, that would not only rid the world of evil and sin, but would also save us in the process. Save us in the process. But the only way that he could do this, the only way, is if he himself came down to earth and the form of a man took on all of our sin, past, present, and future, on his shoulders and died in our place. That was the only way. And through that, through Christ, he defeated Satan, he overcame sin, and he saved us in the process. He saved us in the process. As sin and evil, it's still in the world today. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around and see, man, sin and evil is still here. We see it in our relationships. We see it in our lives. We're reminded of this a lot of times when we look in the mirror. We see it in the world around us. All you got to do is look at the news. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ has overcome evil. He has overcome sin. He has defeated Satan already. And when he comes again, he will once and for all put an end to evil. But he has already overcome it. What he's doing right now is he's waiting patiently. Waiting patiently. And then again, this just speaks to his incredible love and his grace. He waits patiently for us. He gives us time to respond to him because he loves us, because this is all about love. This is all about relationship. He's done all of this. And again, the only thing that God gets out of this is us. It's all about God's incredible love for us and nothing else. Worship team, if you guys could come on up. As if you're here today and you have never responded to the gospel message, you've never, your eyes have never been opened, you've never been impacted by what God has done through Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, if God is stirring on your heart right now, don't wait to respond. He loves you so much, so much. God did this for every single one of us. And again, the only reason that he did any of this was because he wanted, he desired a relationship with us. Because he loves us. So I want to encourage you, don't wait to respond to him. And if you're here today, if you're a Christian, but there's been some things in your life that you've been holding on to, maybe some things that have been keeping you from that intimacy with him, things that you know, you know, it's not the way, the direction that God wants you moving, but you've been moving in that direction, but you're ready to let it go. I want to encourage you, don't wait. Today is the time. And please don't, don't leave here today without getting prayer. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. But as we sing, again, I want to encourage you, don't wait respond he loves you he's already made the way hey guys first off i just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon and uh whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally you go to another church maybe you don't even live here 
Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us, and uh, I, I want to encourage you to to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we um, whatever it may may be, the point of that is. Um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, and you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me, what do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to, um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. And it's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you've stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.